What's up, guys? It's Friday, and it is the None of Your Business podcast. So today we have James Sweezy. You know, like if anybody is in recovery and they understand, like the gifts of sobriety. Interviewing uh, James Sweezy, I would say, is a gift of sobriety for me. You know, following him, getting inspired by him. You know, and I've had lots of people on this show that have inspired me, but when it comes to the recovery, like, it's just, it's crazy. Um, And I know at the end of the day that anybody is just any person. And that we're all capable of doing this. But it's just insane. Um, it's really cool. So check him out on Instagram. Check him out on Facebook at James Sweezy Live. I hope you guys enjoy. Um, there's so much value in this. James, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I appreciate you having me. So uh, who are you? What do you do? Uh, my name is James Sweezy. I'm a uh, nationally certified interventionist. I'm a uh, national outreach coordinator for Chapel Hill Medical Detox. And I use my social media presence, my website, speaking engagements, whatever I can, local meetings, national meetings. I, I travel a lot and I try to make connections in hopes of making the recovery community larger, connecting more people. And the net result of all of that is that a lot of people message me on through social media or email and they ask me for help. How can I get out of this situation uh, where I'm stuck? I'm about to lose my wife, my kids, whatever it is, or I'm using McDonald's Wi-Fi right now and I live in the gutter behind it. Uh, What do I do? So I get a ton of messages through that. And my goal is to try to give as many people valid options as possible. Awesome. Love it. So how did you get into that? Well, that's a good question. So about 10 years ago, I found myself addicted to uh, Suboxone, Methadone. And I don't remember which one I was on, but at the time, I believe it was Methadone. So I, I decided the geographical cure. You know, I'm a 12-step guy. And the literature I read talks about a geographical cure. And my thought was this, or my family's thought was, let's get out. I'm in Louisville, Kentucky right now. And they say, let's get out of Louisville, Kentucky, get you out of here and go down to Florida by your dad. He'll give you a job and you can get away from all this. Right. Well, you know, as most addicts are, I was trying to be secretive of the fact that I was attending a methadone clinic every morning. I didn't tell anyone. And my thinking was, well, I'll lower my dose leading up to packing all my stuff and moving to Florida. I'll lower it. Then when I get there, I won't have any other choice. I'll just sweat it out for a few days and then pop up and go back to work and carry on. This will, this is the way to do it. So I did that. I, I, don't you've been there. Yeah. Been there. Yeah. Don't ever do that. If you're listening to this podcast, don't ever try that. That's not a, that doesn't work. So I did just that. I went down and my aunt had this beautiful home in a large neighborhood and she was going to be out of town for a week. And I thought the stars were lining up. It's like, she's going to let me stay there while I go find my own place and she's going to be gone for a week so I can ride it out in that time period. So I, uh, I had just a little bit of methadone left with me, liquid methadone in a, uh, a take home dose. You know, they give you the little bottles and the zipper bag. I brought that with me and I took my last dose on the way there or when I landed something like that, met with my aunt, made everything look like it was okay. And then she decided, you know, she went out of town and I said, okay, I got it now. I'll tell my dad, I got to find an apartment. I have to find means of where I'm going to live and all that. So it'll be a week before I can start my new job over at the construction company. And I laid there in that bed and the worst withdrawals I've ever experienced in my life set in. And you know, the drill, sweating, diarrhea, restlessness, all that. So, um, I wasn't on, there wasn't, I wasn't on Facebook at the time, anything like that. So I started Googling after about three days into this. If you've ever been through it, you know, you have those moments where you're thinking, man, 
maybe tomorrow will just be better than today was. If I can just feel some type of relief. So, and, you know, you sleep for five minutes at a time and when your eyes pop back open, you go, oh no, that was only five minutes. Now I'm going to be awake for another. So hold on. Can you pause? Yeah. I'm sorry. We can start over if you want. My TV just unpaused for some reason. All right, I apologize, but for whatever reason, I'm sitting here talking to you and my TV unpaused itself, which my TV has the, the habit of going on and off on its own or unpausing itself. I don't know if it's from the airplanes or if the house is haunted or what, so sorry about that. Um, it's out of our yeah. control. So, you, you know, I was talking about those moments where you think in your head, like if tomorrow can just be a little better than this, I was looking to see the slightest little bit of progress that would point towards a light at the end of the tunnel where I think, okay, if tomorrow's a little better and I can get out of bed and move around and maybe eat something, then the next day will be better than that. Well, that day never came. You know, I laid there for four days. It was excruciating. I started taking hot baths. I took a bath at some point. Like I sat in a, a bath. I didn't take a shower. I took a hot bath and when I got out, it seemed like the symptoms had subsided a little bit, at least for a few minutes, like literally three minutes after getting out of the bath. You're like, okay, my muscles feel better, whatever. And then I ended up taking 10 baths a day after that, you know, for the next couple of days. So I went on the internet and I started Googling how long do withdrawal symptoms last for methadone or how long does this take this and that. And at the time there wasn't a whole lot of information other, I mean, I guess there was 12 step information, but I was in full blown withdrawal sickness, dude. I'm like going, somebody tell me how long this is going to take or what I need to do to get out of these withdrawals. I didn't want to hear nothing about a, some sentences in a book, like read this spiritual right. material right here. No, I want the pain to stop. Then we can talk about that after. Right. So okay. I started looking on the internet and there was nothing there. Okay. There was these, you remember the old forum boards where you could anonymously post, like you go on the internet and there might yeah. be a website that had the little cheap form at the bottom and you could post a question. And if someone else had come along, or I guess at the time you could follow that forum and get email notifications if someone else commented. So I saw someone on there talking about their experience and they said day one off of methadone, day two off. I saw these comments going out and I immediately jumped on it and commented and I said, Hey, I'm on day five right now. What should I expect? Blah, blah, blah. And as I hit the send button to post that comment on that generic forum, I realized that that person's last comment was two years prior and there were no other comments on the board. So it set in really quickly and I continued to look. It set in really quickly. It's like, nobody's going to answer me in any yeah. kind of time. I guess I could have called a treatment center or something like that. But remember I was hiding this. I needed to get this over with without anyone knowing. One of the largest mistakes you can make when trying to come off of uh, a very hard narcotic withdrawal. So I couldn't call a treatment center. I have to be at work in three days. Uh, my parents don't know about this, right? So I have to figure this out. And I come across a website, I read something about all these vitamins you can take, right? And it said, buy these, this copper, this uh, L-tyrosine was one of them. And it said, the problem right now is your body is not producing or receiving enough dopamine. And these chemicals or these vitamins will give your body the raw materials it needs to actually make dopamine. This is the raw materials that a human body uses. I thought, great. And I drove dope sick up to a, one of those GNC or something like that. And I went yeah. in and spent like $300 on vitamins. This is the last little bit of money I had. And I brought them all back and I took them. And then you sit there and wait. And you're like, okay. I'm, I'm waiting now. When's it going to go away? Never went away. And I, I yeah. kept taking dosages of the vitamins. This was recommended on this website. Sat there for another day and realized I chucked all the vitamins. I was like, okay, maybe vitamins are good for you, but it's not helping this situation right here. And uh, end up what I had to do was I took the methadone bottle that, that had that last little dose in it. And you know, the little paper seal on the top, I yeah. peeled it open and I could see red stains on that paper seal. I could see it stuck to it. And I could see the seal was swollen a little bit where some of the methadone had seeped into the little, like I guess the cardboard in between the adhesives. I could yeah. see it swollen a little bit and I swallowed that. I ripped the label off the top and I swallowed it. And I guess because I'd been in withdrawal for so many days, that little bit pulled me out of it. And I thought, oh, I'm good now. I took that little bit. I went to sleep. I slept for the first time in five days. I had to be at work the next morning. 
So I get up the next morning, not feeling the greatest, but I wasn't in full blown withdrawals. And I threw on my work clothes, construction work clothes, and went to work in the blistering Florida heat. Um, and it took all of about 90 minutes before I was back in full blown withdrawals again. And I had to work out that day there. So fast forward 10 years, you asked me why I started this. That one experience right there was one that helped fuel me starting my page where I now have like 120,000 followers. Um, I travel the country, I speak, I read, uh, you know, and I work in the treatment space. That one experience of, I went on the internet to find someone to secretly talk to that wasn't going to tell my parents or tell my job or whatever. And I couldn't find it. So that one experience right there kind of fueled the start of all this, you know, somebody you can reach out to touch base with, they're not going to judge you. Uh, whether you're on Suboxone, Methadone, Heroin, Pills, Xanax, I don't care, alcohol, whatever. But maybe I could give somebody one or two sentences and give them the truth. Like I tell people, they'll, they'll message me now and say, hey, dude, I got to hide this from my wife. I have to hide it from my mom and my kids. And I'm on a gram of heroin a day. I don't sugarcoat anything. I tell them, like, you're making a huge mistake thinking you're going to hide that from someone right now. So even if it's not the information they want to hear, I can give them straightforward information. Yeah, totally. But I, you know, I went to treatment for heroin in 2013 and was like searching for people who are like in the same boat. And randomly I came across you and throughout the years I followed you since then. And like, you were just being raw, being real, telling the truth, not sugarcoating shit. And then uh, preaching the literature, which is important, and uh, which, like, and throughout the years when I have, you know, I'm one of those relapsers that, like, when I reach out, you're always Johnny on the spot, I think, either on Facebook or whatever it is. Um, and, uh, well, you know how it is. It, yeah. It well, that, I mean. Dude, sometimes it's just that one point of contact, right? So it takes six to eight points of contact before someone will do anything. Buy a t-shirt from you, potentially talk to you, give you their phone number, send an email, whatever. You know, you see an ad go down your timeline on Facebook of something that you might be interested in and you scroll right past it. And then a couple weeks later, you find yourself digging into it, reading more about it, whether whether it's some product you want to buy, some vitamin or some coaching program, you start reading into it a little more. And then a couple of weeks later, bills are paid, money's good, and it comes down your timeline again and it's 50 bucks. And you're like, oh, I know about this now. I've seen it several times. I trust them and I can buy it now. Boom, push the button. And that, that was one of the things for me is uh, when, I, when I, the reason I used Facebook was maybe we can create this community of like-minded individuals that can, here's a big thing, talk to each other. So when I post something on the internet, I might be too busy to go into 300 comments and talk to everyone, um, accept every message or whatever, but the people in the comments can talk to each other, right? right? And that connects you. That's one of those six to eight points of contact where you start to trust a community or something like that. Unfortunately, what I have found, and this is in my, uh, from my experience, is that I'm a 12-step guy. I love 12-step recovery. Yeah. I'm not always in love with the 12 step community, right? Yeah. Lots yeah. of very, uh, but you know, you got to take it for what it is, man. Like I go to my meetings, uh, I use my sponsor. I talk to my sponsees just because I walk into a meeting doesn't mean I have to listen to put up with or tolerate everything that every person in that meeting says or does. Right. Mm -hmm. I can get up and leave. I can choose to go to another one. I choose to be around the 12 step community, even though, especially when you cross over like I did from free peer to peer 12 step recovery into doing treatment. Then they say immediately people, including your friends, people you have in your house, people that you let around your kids start talking crazy about you, tagging you in posts and turn around and say, Oh, you're only doing this for money now. You know? And the thing is, yes, you see me online posting videos. You see that I have a website that I travel and speak. I charge for, Speaking engagements, you know, uh, sometimes people reach out to me and they can't afford anything and we figure it out. But you're never going to see me posting on the Internet about some free help I gave someone like, hey, look at this guy we drug out of the gutter over here. And now here we are driving him to this free facility. Man, how awesome. See, you don't see that part. You see me talking about treatment, detox, message me if you need help. But 
you know, what, what would be the purpose of, hey, it's like the old picture, taking a picture of yourself, helping an old lady across the street. Who does that, right? Yeah, and, you know, you're providing a service and you're, you know, you're just providing a service. So your time needs to be paid for. That's it. That's exactly right. And, you know, uh, one of my favorite sayings, uh, uh, an executive coach that I work with right now, his name's David Menza. He's $12,000 a day and he's booked for two years. You can't get him. And I'm fortunate enough to know him and to be able to work with him. And he says, you can do, it's okay to do good and do well at the same time. Um, so my efforts, uh, we were on the news last night, uh, putting up our new treatment center here in Kentucky. It's uh, 25,000 square feet. It's called the Robert Alexander Center for Recovery. It's going to be another year before the building is done, but we're putting it up in 98% support from the surrounding community and the two percent of people that are in there you know bashing us talking crazy about it you're only doing this for money you're going to bring all these drug addicts to our town and all that you know there's this contempt prior to investigation where you didn't take the time to talk to me or ask me a question you've made up your mind that i'm bringing this here only to to generate profits or generate revenue right let me tell you something it takes profits and revenue to run an operation, the scale of what we're running right now, you know? Right. Shit. It's all right. No, no, that was me. That was me. Sorry about that. It's all right. Um, yeah, you're, you're right. You know, I, uh, I'm glad actually this, uh, what you just said kind of gave me, uh, I don't know, like a sense of relief because like now I'm starting like an online coaching business to help people new into sobriety who uh, want to like strength train and get a different mindset. And like my, when I told my sponsor I was doing that, he was like, you can't charge for that kind of type of work. You can't charge us. I'm like, well, what's the difference between what I'm doing and what an LAC is doing? So exactly that. See, you just hit on it right there. Um, I noticed this in the, in the community or whatever. Okay, so if you're a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a doctor of some sort, a medical doctor, or an LCSW, something like that, a, 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 a drug and alcohol counselor of some sort, okay, then people tell you, you're awesome. I love the work you do. I love that you wrapped your life into helping a particular community of people. You do awesome work. Guess what? They all bill private insurance. They all accept cash pay and many of them accept Medicaid as well. Here's the hit, Robert, that I want you to take a look at is it's okay to do good and to do well at the same time. But the way I do that is when someone can afford to pay me to come and speak, you know, it's $3,000, right? My hotel, my, my travel, my food plus $3,000. That's it. That's the price. That's what it is. Now I choose to, because of my 12 step nature and uh, we're in the business of helping people. I choose to make investments in certain people. Uh, there's people on my page that want to do what I do. They want to be a certified interventionist. They're already live like you doing podcasts. They have a Facebook presence. They go live all the time and they might reach out to me and say, look, I'm a single mom. I got these two kids. I go live from my house. I'm trying to make something out of this, but I can't afford a coach. So I do 30 minute coaching sessions with them once a week to help them out right now. I'm not going to post that on it. We're talking about it now, but I'm not going to post that on the internet. Right? So as you're going through this process where you're going to recovery coach, or mentor people and all that, realize that there is a business aspect to it. And then I, just from talking to you just now, I can tell there's gonna be an aspect of it too, where you're going to just give to other people with no thought of return, right? And hope to make them better. That'll gain you more clients that can afford it. Because there's people out there that want to pay for it. And what are they really paying for, Robert, if you're saying recovery coach, right? Well, yeah. that doesn't mean that you tapped out and you said, I give up, I want to go to detox, I want to go to treatment, and I want to go to 12-step meetings. If that's the case, great. You point them at someone like myself and say, they're going to get you in treatment, you're welcome to go and stop, and you're welcome to join me in my 12-step meeting. That's free all day long. What yeah. people are paying for, remember the six to eight points of contact I was talking about to so whatever, they're actually paying you in recovery coaching or in interventioning, they're paying you for an exposure to the recovery community. 
So they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. And they want to talk to you for an hour a day, five days a week. Okay. I don't know about you, but I don't have time for that. Right. I don't. So if I believe them to be uh, one of those people that I want to invest in, I'll say, listen, here's what you do. You want somebody to talk to five hours, a, five hours a week and take that much of their time. You walk straight into a fellowship meeting. You get a sponsor and say, I want to stop all this. Will you be my sponsor? And you work with them in your hometown directly. If you want coaching, you want someone to dump your problems on and you can afford it, then recovery coaching. You see what I mean? Yeah. No, the big totally. difference. Yeah. yeah, there's a big difference. I'm glad that you clarified that because I've been on the fence about it for a while. Like, is it ethically right? Is it morally right? Well, look, man, if, 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 uh, if you're walking out of your local 12-step meeting and a guy says, hey, man, I really admire you. I want you to sponsor me. Will you help me get through these steps? If you don't have the time to do it, it's your responsibility to tell them no and say, man, I'll be your support group member. But it's your responsibility to say, I don't have time for it, right? If you do, it's our responsibility to sponsor that person. No yeah. charge, anything like that, right? But if I'm out here on the internet and someone reaches out to me and if I can't answer it in a short message or whatever, and they want to take that level of time from me um, in, a, in another capacity, then there is a paid service. And also, uh, there's multi-multi-millionaires out here that don't want to tell anybody that their problems are right now, what they're going through, they'd be more than happy to pay you $150 an hour to be someone that they can vent to, that they can talk to. And it's your job as a recovery coach to guide them towards the recovery community. And they're willing to pay for that. And that's fine. Right on. Thank you for that. I, I'm glad that uh, everything happens for a reason. So I'm glad that we hopped on this. So, uh, sure. you know, you, been vulnerable. You told about your personal experiences. Like I've been homeless, addicted to drugs, sexually abused, fucking in toxic relationships, the whole fucking bunch. Um, do, now what are some struggles in business that you've gone through and how did you overcome them? Oh man, that's a great question. So some of the struggles in business would be balance, time management, and one of the biggest ones that I've come across is getting other people. Well, I don't want to say, I don't want to say that. I was about to say getting other people to do what you want. It's kind of, that's kind of the non sugarcoated way of saying, um, getting other people, getting the results you want out of other people. Okay. I work, uh, with Marty Norman, Brian Kendrick, Justin Broughton. Uh, so these are some very strong personalities. We're all guys or we might have that type A personality, whatever. Everybody wants things done their way and they want specific results out of it, right? Then you bring all of us together where we have to work collectively as a team to get things done. And the and it's very difficult, right? Uh, we all have different moving parts, different personalities. And what I mean by moving parts is we all have different responsibilities within our organization, right? And bringing all of us together and those those different responsibilities crossing lines, like someone that's new to social media trying to tell me the best way to put out a video or the best thing to say in a video, right? I have that. They come along and say, why don't you say it this way and do this and put this kind of thing on the screen? And I go, okay, why don't you do it? And then let me know your results. I've been doing this for a while. Uh, so just things like that, um, personalities clashing. And here's the thing when you're not getting the results you want out of other people, there's this thing, uh, there, there's a couple methods. One of them is called telegraphing, right? Um, I tried to telegraph very well, even though admittedly in the past few months with my, my page, my presence, my job, my kids, I have a book coming out. I have a new facility being built. A lot of people want me on podcasts or uh, to help them make videos or whatever. There's this big thing going on. And I miss emails and stuff sometimes. But telegraphing is like this. You know the person, you probably know a lady. Females are better at this, but you probably know someone that's all the way put together, right? Like when they say, let's have an appointment. Let's meet for lunch next week, right? I could say that to you right now. Let's talk next week. And then everybody goes, okay, we'll figure it out. And then next week, you're scrambling around that time. What day are we going to? Okay, telegraphing is a person that has their calendar ready, their ink pen out 
everything's in order and you say, let's have lunch next week. That person that's telegraphing well, they'll say, what day and what time would you like to have lunch? You say, oh, Wednesday at 12. They go, Wednesday, 12, what location? And then they write down the location or they type it into their calendar on their phone. And then they're messaging you the day before and the morning of to say, hey, Robert, just confirming our luncheon tomorrow at 1230 at this location and you say yes, then the next morning they're doing it again and saying, I'm headed to the location now. See, they're telegraphing. You, whether you realize it or not, I go, man, they got their stuff together. I can't sneak yep. nothing by them, right? People that telegraph well, uh, like they show up when they say they're supposed to show up, they're out in front of their business, all of that, especially when you're operating in business. People that telegraph well get unsolicited job offers all the time. Right. And that's my gauge to look at and say, am I telegraphing? Well, let me tell you something. I get job offers weekly on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. They say, tell me how much the company is paying you. Let me see what we can do here. Uh, I'm very happy where I'm at now and my happiness is not for sale. So I tend to turn them all down. Uh, and also I'm one of the owners at our company. So jumping ship to go somewhere else, it would have to be a very attractive offer. Uh, for me to do anything like that and give up my ownership. And then there's this other thing um, that I deal with in business. Well, it, it's the same principle of how do I get everyone on the same page, right? How do I get the guys that are creating content? How do I get the video editor? Then we have a Facebook manager that runs our ads for us. Then we have uh, a supervisor, Justin. He's my business partner. He's down in Florida. We're all in different states. We're all on different time zones. And how do we get this thing to work in a, in a way that it makes sense and everybody shows up on the same time and everybody turns in their material on time and on the same days? And that's called collective leadership, right? So when I'm having a problem, uh, it, it, this particularly applies to your boss or your supervisor or someone that you're afraid to tell them how it is because you're worried about the consequences. Like, dude, I can't roll up on my boss and say, look, dude, you've asked me to do X, Y, Z. You're not supporting me. That's why it's not working, right? Collective leadership is this. We as uh, humans, we, temp we typically have two responses to conflict. To think, do you understand what I'm saying, right? There's people in your life that you wanna say something to that you love, that you want to move forward with them, but you can't say it because you don't wanna start a fight, right? Yeah. So yeah. we have two responses as a humans that fight or flight, okay? Usually flights first. I have a problem with Robert and I'm going to work and I'm seeing him every day and he's my supervisor or my coworker or something like that and this problem just won't go away. Robert won't quit doing that thing that I want him to quit doing so much. That's flight, see? I'm building it up inside me, resentment um, and not approaching you. I'm flying from the situation. I'm not addressing it because I don't like conflict. I don't wanna be in that conflict. Then what happens is your emotional barometer builds up to where Robert's driving me nuts five days a week, 40 hours a week while I'm at work and I can't take it no more. And I'll roll up on him and go, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. That's fight, right? See, we flight until the emotional barometer explodes. Then we fight. Okay. There's another way in the middle, collective leadership, right? And that's going to sound something like this. I'm going to walk into work and I'm going to walk up. There's a, a process to it. Inventory. Okay. So this, this is, built off of a 12-step program, right? Inventory, take responsibility, create collective leadership. And I could do that right now. If you and I were having a problem at work, Robert, I can inventory it and say, okay, guess what? Here's an inventory. This is my fault because I'm the one that has a problem and I'm using the flight response instead of being direct with Robert. See, this is my fault. Robert doesn't even know and he's not gonna know until I explode on him, right? And that's not fair to Robert. So that's my inventory. Now I'm going to take responsibility and create collective leadership in one step. I'm going to walk up and say, hey, Robert, can I talk to you for a minute? We're going to step away from everybody else so it's not happening in front of other people where our social and security instincts can get affected, right? And we're going to walk outside. I'm going to say, Robert, this is my fault. I want to take responsibility for the fact that something has been bothering me and I neglected and danced around it and didn't say anything to you about it instead of being direct and trying to find a solution. So Robert, 
the way you come into work and skip over XYZ process every morning makes my job harder. And I was wondering, how can you and I work together and how can I help you get that done so both of our days go better? Do you see how we're in the middle of fight and flight right now? This yeah. is the and and this this is meant to give people courage to do that to take that type of action because think about this if you roll up on somebody and you want to tell them that they're an asshole or that they're not doing their job right that's your big fear is i'm going to offend them and start a conflict right so if you take responsibility for it up front you're not attacking them i'm gonna walk up robert this is my fault i'm wrong man for getting upset about this thing that you've been you know so I'm taking responsibility. Then what I mean by create collective leadership is this, say, how can I help you? Say, it's me helping, how can I help you? And how can you help me? How can we work together to make this work as a team? See, you have to look at the leader in everybody. There's a leader inside Robert, there's a leader inside James, or even the person that's listening to this podcast right now. There's a leader in there in you somewhere, but fight or flight, is me neglecting you and not giving you an opportunity to be that leader. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Right. And not, when you approach it that way, you're not attacking their ego and they're not getting offended. So. Right. Cause we all have, if you're a 12 step guy, I'm assuming this is a recovery based type podcast, right? If you're a 12 step guy, we all have these instincts, right? That we're taught in 12 step recovery. That is the social security and sexual instinct. Right. And I can, tell you how those work right now they think of a social instinct right if you're walking down the sorry my phone just went off if you're walking down the street with your girl okay uh, let's go security um you're walking down the street with your girl or your significant other whatever and you've got them on your arm here and a drunk person comes stumbling out of the club right and bumps into your girl okay what is, what's the first thought in your mind right now i have to knock this person out because you just bumped into my see that's my security instinct you just crossed into my bubble, right? Now, there's another instinct that could be compiled on top of that, which you and I were just talking about, is my social instinct. Everybody just saw you bump into my girl. Now I have to knock you out to prove to them that I'm not a punk. Yeah. That's why in this creative leadership situation, you always pull the person aside. You don't want anyone else to hear this conversation, right? And also in that situation, your sexual instinct is affected, right? my girl that's my girl you just bumped into and i have to show her that i protect her and that i'm not a punk so yeah. on all three levels right here i now have to fight that person that bumped into my girl because security you crossed my bubble social everybody saw you do it and sexual that's my girl right so all those get affected and in this creative leadership type way um the thing that we're talking about you want to pull that person away from other people so that very situation doesn't happen and like you said affect their ego to where they immediately go into what fight mode you push them into fight mode and then you're not creating collective leadership and getting the task at hand completed love it love it that's awesome uh so you know you're in business you do a whole bunch of stuff like uh what do you do like what are your three morning habits that you do for success? Three morning habits. So um, I'm going to wake up and the first thing I do is give myself time. Okay. Uh, I don't know about you guys. Uh, so one is give yourself time. I have to wake up in the morning and because of my anxiety driven, uh, whether it's a result of my drug and alcohol abuse or a cause of my drug and alcohol abuse, I don't know. But when I wake up in the morning, I have to give myself time. Um, to wake up, right? I had to get, my brain has to get working first before I dig into social media, Facebook, or start handling any type of business things. You ever wake up in the morning and someone has made a comment on social media and you immediately start cussing them out and then 30 minutes later you go back and delete it, right? That's because you didn't allow your brain to wake up and start make, and operating clearly, okay? So giving yourself time to, uh, to function properly, that's, whether, whether you're a 12-step guy like me, that's prayer, meditation, putting your head down for a minute, taking a deep breath and bringing yourself into the moment, shutting everything else off and being like, okay. And self-awareness is like, I'm still waking up. That's why I feel this way. That's why I almost feel angry when I wake up, right? Particularly common in drug and alcohol community. I wake up pissed off, right? So I have to yeah. wait. Also, another thing, and this goes back, this is part of telegraphing, okay? 
not only do I have to give myself time to come out of that fog in the morning, I have to wake up earlier than I like to so I can be collective and ready to go for my day. And what I mean by that is if I have to be now, I, I have a different job now, but when I was working at the restaurant uh, as a chef, I had to be there at 9 a.m., right? If I wake up at 8.30 and throw my chef coat on and don't brush my teeth and, you know, wash my face and all that and run out the door, I am a hot mess because one, I didn't allow my brain to wake up, but two, I didn't give myself time to collect myself before I went out the door and, um, and go through my day, right? So I'm rushing. I'm on my way in. I'm still half asleep when I walk in the door. Anybody's a victim at that point. Anybody can get cussed out. Anybody can get cussed out in traffic, any number of things. So giving your, your brain time to wake up, but also giving yourself a gap for telegraphing. And that is, um, and I did this while I was working at the restaurant. Dude, my chef coat was ironed crispy with creases in the sleeve every day. I had my thermometer, my ink pen. Uh, all of my equipment was there and ready to go. My pants looked good. I didn't look like I just pulled all of my stuff out of the trunk of my car and threw it on and walked in there with my breath stinking where I forgot to brush my teeth, right? These are all things, allowing your brain to wake up and allowing yourself to, uh, to put yourself together before you head out the door, right? And then here's one of the biggest things. Absolutely one of the biggest things, probably the biggest. Well, they all run together, put it that way, is being intentional with what you do, right? I can show you right now that I know you guys won't see it. The guys listening to the podcast, but you see these, yeah, y'all can hear it. These are pages of notes, Robert. I'm showing you see how many lists I have that look at those, right? I talk about them on my page a lot. I am going to be intentional about what I do with my day. Okay. That's called the dog wagging the tail instead of the tail wagging the dog. I'm going to wake up. I'm well telegraphed. I have my appointments scheduled for the day. I know the people I'm supposed to talk to. I know other stuff's going to come in and I'm going to log it properly. But most thing is I'm going to be very intentional before I start my day. I've woke up. I put myself together even before this uh, podcast right here, even though we're not in the same room and the people listening will be on a recording. Look, I washed my face. I brushed my teeth. I put some cologne on to make sure that I felt good while I was sitting here. I was very intentional about that about how my mood was going to come across today. And then I have these lists. I make lists of everything that I do not want to do. Mind you, the stuff that you want to do, like go to the lake this weekend, don't worry. You're not going to forget, right? (laughs) You're not going to miss it, right? You have a point. Right, or or take the new girlfriend to dinner. You're not going to forget. Don't worry about it. You don't need a list for, hey, I want to I take her out on Saturday, right? The things I'm going to forget are the little form that showed up in the mail yesterday I need to fill out for my taxes, and I'm probably going to have to wait on the phone on hold with the IRS for an hour just to get that thing done. See, I'll throw that in a pile of papers over here and forget about it, and then Three weeks later, when the deadline's coming, I'm scrambling, I'm non-telegraphed, I'm negative telegraphing, and I'm trying to scrape everything together to get it done. So being very intentional. Also, another thing of being intentional is if you wake up in the morning and check your social media notifications before you write down your intentions, you're not a leader. You're following. You're getting up and you're looking at notifications to see what the world has brought you and what can you all guide me into this morning, right? I wanna be very intentional. I wanna sit down and say, I'm gonna use Facebook and my, now I'm a business guy. Some people use Facebook as a toy or a tool, okay? I use it as a tool. It's not just a toy I play on on the internet. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, okay? And and, And a website and all that. So I'm waking up. And uh, though I might not hit all those platforms in one day, I'm very intentional. It's like, guess what? I'm going to use my, my social media platform today to teach people this one three-step process, right? The, maybe the um, collective leadership you and I just talked about. Yeah. So, and then I'm going to be intentional. So I'm going to go live today uh, from my office and talk about collective leadership. I'm going to take some questions. I'm going to go over to Instagram and add something to my story that says, hey, go check out my live on collective leadership. I'm gonna go on Twitter and give a little tidbit of it and the link to it after I'm done, right? And I might even broadcast that link while I'm on live on Facebook. Copy and go to my Twitter or go to my Instagram and say, hey guys, I'm live right now, click here, okay? I have a bot on my page. I have a text messaging app where I have uh, over 500 phone numbers of people that like to, uh, 
that like to engage with my broadcasting or whatever. So being intentional about your day, right? If you wake up and you have no aim as and no goal set, when you go to bed, whenever you close your day out, you're not going to feel accomplished, right? That one little form you were supposed to fill out for the IRS is still sitting in the stack of papers. You didn't handle maybe the paperwork that you need to do to get your kids into school, all that stuff. So it comes down, it's a list of things that I do not want to do. Every Monday morning, I start with a list. I actually, I started on Sunday night and I add to it. And Monday when I wake up, I've got 10, sometimes 30 things on there that I do not want to do. And I come in here first thing and start knocking off as many as I can. And I'll tell people this all the time. Sometimes you own the list and sometimes the list owns you. That's all there is to it. Right. But we're going to be at wake up and be very intentional and try to own the list. Right now, everything on my Monday list that I don't get done, the stuff I don't want to do, I advance it to Tuesday. And I, whenever work is over, work is over. I need balance. I have to go be with my kids and my family. All right. Advance to Tuesday. Tuesday, I start cracking at the list. If I don't get it all done, I advance to Wednesday and so on, right? Ideally, you will have intentionally your Monday list completed by Wednesday. What does that do for you now? That frees you. You're free. You're calm. You feel accomplished. Thursday and Friday, the creative can flow. I can work on my podcast. I can go live for no reason just because I feel good at the time. I can focus on my children, my house, my new building. I can do some work on my book or whatever, but not being intentional to take care of all the stuff that you don't want to do will pile up on you to where you're sitting in your office or at your job. And people, what do people always say? I just can't get ahead. That's why, because you're operating unintentionally. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I love it. I love it. Um, I know that was the long answer. I hope I answered your question there. No, no, you did. You, you totally answered my question. Um, and I, can you hear me? I can't. I muted myself. Oh, uh, okay. I muted myself when I'm listening to you. Gotcha. Okay. I, fair enough. Um, so, <clears throat> what do you do with, like in your free time? Like, what are your hobbies? Oh, man, you're full of great questions. Um, actually, in my free time, which I can't afford right now, my one of my most favorite hobbies is aviation. I don't talk about it a whole lot because I'm not actively involved in it. I went flying a few months ago. I landed a plane for the first time in sobriety about a year ago. Um, that, that was with a flight instructor sitting with me. Whenever you fly, ho I'm hobby pilot, right? I'm not a jet pilot or a airline pilot. I'm talking about the small Cessna four seater, go to the airport, burn a hole in the sky for a few hundred dollars kind of thing. Right. Um, so I find it hard to enjoy my hobby right now because, um, while we're doing well, money is tight. I have two daughters. Uh, and every, every time you, the thought crosses my mind to, Hey, I'm going to go fire up an airplane and go burn a hole in the sky today. My mind goes to how much stuff can I buy for my daughters with that money? Um, and Elena and I are in the process of buying a house right now, or we're looking, we're not in the process of buying. We're actively looking for a house that we would probably call our forever home or our dream home. Um, yeah. We're working on that. So I have not been able to enjoy my aviation hobby the way that I want to, but that's what makes it a hobby. I always keep coming back to it. Right. I keep circling around and taking a plane up once in a while. And I'm like one of these days. So I almost had my, my pilot's license about a decade ago. Uh, maybe a little over. And my, at the time, my drug addiction was really, alcoholism was really kicking in. So um, I got a DUI and they wouldn't allow me to have a pilot's license with a DUI. So I dropped it and I, I'm allowed to fly with instructors all I want though, as long as there's an instructor in the plane. So I've been milking that for a while, you know, and then you have to pay for the instructor sitting there. Um, another hobby of mine is my job. You're looking at it. It does not, even though it can bog me down, and wear me out at times, the work I do. I love my job. I love uh, Digital Influence, LLC, my company. Sick Media is the parent company of that, the one that I started from day one. Sick Media doesn't even really operate no more. I mean, I'm kind of doing it right now, but everything's evolved into digital influence. How can we use digital technology, marketing gadgets? I love it, dude. Like the, what you're doing right now, the microphones, the cameras, the whatever. Um, I think that with the, 
with, with, with the social media expanding and exploding the way it is and becoming more infrastructure for people, we're actually going to be the matriarchs of our family, right? Like, look, my grandkids will be able to go on the internet and look at videos of me in my thirties videos of me in my forties, see my house. They'll be able to see their parents, my kids running around the house as babies live on video, thousands of pictures, thousands of videos. That's something that we have not seen, right? Go try to find a picture of my parents together. I think there's one, I have it in a safe, right? Yeah. So I love that we're part of something that is becoming infrastructure. And even though we didn't create social media, we didn't create podcasting or anything like that. It's kind of cool that we're part of something that is changing the world. Like you created this podcast and called me, even though we didn't create the technology. I, I look uh, forward to a day where uh, my daughters, they're three and four right now, but maybe when they're 10 years old, nine and 10 years old, podcasting will be a thing for 10 year olds. Like maybe they'll have their own computers set up, mics, cameras, gadgets everywhere. And that's just the thing that kids do is they have to run a broadcasting studio out of their room or out of their school. Cause you know, you don't have to be invited on the news anymore. You don't have to be a famous Hollywood actor to get what I have now anymore. 120,000 followers is not uh, groundbreaking or by any means, but I also, I don't push for more followers. See, I don't actively go out. Now it'll say on the post, follow me, this and that, whatever, but I don't spend insane amounts of money trying to get as many people to follow the page as possible. It just happens naturally. So I could have, I believe half a million or a million followers right now, if I was running ads and continually pushing, but I stopped at a hundred thousand. It's grown to its just on its own from people liking the page an extra 20,000. I stopped doing all that so I could focus on the job at hand and not worry so much about followers. But um, maybe maybe one of these days in the future, it'll be nothing for a person to have a full-blown reality show just through our common household things like cameras in the house, camera in your car, able to broadcast from all platforms from your phone and be live on 10 different social media platforms at one time. And you know, I just, so as far as hobbies go, I'm sorry I'm rambling, but as far as hobbies go, yeah, you're really hitting on one right now, sitting here doing what we're doing. And we can get paid for it. It's freaking amazing, right? So, yeah, and then uh, other than uh, aviation and my body of work that I'm putting out right now, using technology to do my body of work, uh, my real thing is being a family man. That's one of my best things. Um, being a father, uh, being good to, my, to Elena, and being good to my girls, Ashlyn and Avery, there is nothing more satisfying to me than uh, when we, most people go to sports. I don't do sports. Most people go to sporting events. They go out camping, uh, things like that, right? They spend a lot of money being a sports fan or something like that. I prefer to spend my money eating out. And there's just this thing, man, that after you've put in a long, hard week or month or quarter, whatever it is of work, and you've been busting your ass nonstop, and you get to sit down with my mother, my father, my kids, or, and my girlfriend, and friends of ours all at one table, and the bill's $600, right? And you're like, no problem. Boom. You lay that car down and buy dinner for everyone. That's a family, man. That's what the head of the family does, and I truly enjoy it, you know? And people get on me about it, like, dude, you're always buying dinner. I'm like, yeah, but you spent $600 going to watch a Kansas City Chiefs game the other day. I spent $600 on dinner. It's okay. You know what I mean? I don't do the Chiefs thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I I'm not a family man. Being being a family man's a big part of it. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And now that you're in the recovery life, you get to do those things. Yeah, yeah. We we get to. That's why people ask you why do you stay sober. Like, yeah, I mean, I stay sober because of rewards. Because the so the recovery community being in recovery has given me rewards for the first time in my life. Like. I went and got my own home without asking my parents for help. You know what I'm saying? I, the electric bill, the, the water bill, the food bill, which is outrageous in my house. Um, all these different things, the vacations, you name it. Life costs money, dude. You know what I'm saying? Unless you're going to go live off the grid somewhere and hunt for your food and not hang out with nobody, you better have some money, right? Um, life costs money. And the challenge 
of taking that on and being able to manage it has been something else, man. Because before, yeah, I talk about this on the internet years ago, um, you know, like a $700 break job would knock me off. Like, oh my God, $700. What the hell, man? Like, mom, I need 700 bucks. I have to have all my breaks replaced. I don't know how I'm going to pay rent. I have to eat this week. Being able to pull away from that has been something else, man. And that's a reward to where it's like, you know, some people say, oh, I can smoke weed or I can have one beer. I don't even want to find out. I don't care, right? I don't want to find out if I can smoke weed and be successful only. I don't think I can. I know me. Um, I I don't care to find out. It's not worth it. I'll just go to dinner with my family. This Actually, tonight with my mother, I'll pick up the tab and I'll feel just as good as you do whenever you smoke a joint or whatever. Like, I'll get that same feeling. It's all good. Yeah, right. And uh, if I take it, if I smoked weed today, I'd probably just get super paranoid and stare at the wall for hours and hate my life. Yeah, I always say that uh, smoking weed would kill my buzz, right? Like, it would ruin my day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and then uh, on the on the other side of that, this is a little uh, actually I got it right here. You can see this big poker tattoo I have going down my there's a okay. roulette wheel and poker chips and dice yeah. cards. I love uh, gaming. And the reason I call it gaming and not gambling is because there's a big difference. Right. I'm a tournament card player. Um, very much like if you like playing softball or baseball or something like that, you will what you will join a league. You will yeah. pay a, um, an entry fee, a monthly fee, or a weekly fee of some sort that you'll pay, and you get to go play your game. I treat poker the same way. I, I might play in a tournament where you pay an entry fee, and I've never had those, uh, those addiction issues with gambling or gaming. Um, I like to play cards, and when the card game's over, I can leave. Now, the reason I have the rest of those, the roulette wheel that you see and the dice and all that, is if I win a couple thousand dollars in a card game, a legal card game I'm talking about, y'all. Don't think like that. Uh, if, I, if I win a couple thousand dollars in a card game, I like to stop by the roulette wheel or the dice table on the way out and just put a couple hundred on each one. And if I lose it, I'm gone. So I love gaming, not so much gambling. Yeah, you're not sitting in the machine throwing your rent money in. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I never was. I played poker all through my addiction. Poker funded some of my addiction at times. I played seven days a week. And I just, I don't know, man, like my money comes too hard to walk up and put and and to carry a whole paycheck in there and lose it. It comes too hard. Now, carrying a, a whole paycheck in there and walking out broke, I see people. I know people that do that all the time. Not attractive to me at all. But taking 100 bucks and walking in and signing up for a tournament and having a good time for eight hours or however long you last, it might be 20 minutes, but uh, you know, uh, playing in that tournament and seeing if I can advance to the next round in gaming, I love it. So that's yeah. another hobby. Again, the aviation, the gaming, all that kind of takes a back seat right now due to the body of work that we're putting in and being yeah. a family man. Yeah. Totally. totally. So uh, what's your message to the, <clears throat> sorry, what's your message to the world? My message to the world is stop contemplating, stop thinking about it and go do it right? Action is the answer to every problem. Uh, in my opinion, I remember when I was, um, I was reading a book by Gary Vaynerchuk and it's actually one of the reasons I wrote my book. Now, um, my book will be out later this year, but, um, I, I'm reading it and I go about, I don't know, a chapter in maybe half a chapter. I don't know. It wasn't much. I went in a few pages, a chapter or so, and I come across this blank page and it had an email address in the middle. The name of the book was crush it. And, what I was doing was I was sitting at my house. We had a baby at the time, one baby and another one on the way. I was working in the restaurant and every day I would listen to Les Brown, Tony Robbins, Gary Vaynerchuk. And I always thought to myself, how awesome would it be to live their life where people pay you to come speak and you get up in front of a crowd. I was doing recovery speeches only at the time and getting a good response. And I was like, what if I could do like them and do inspirational or motivational speaking and get paid for it, right? That what an awesome life that would be to travel and meet all these other people. So I'm reading his book, Crush It, because I'm interested. I'm a huge Gary Vaynerchuk man. I've got his shoes all over this office. And I'm reading Crush It to see if some of that will rub off on me, you know, thinking about it. And I turn that page, the blank page comes up and it had an email address in the middle. And it said, if you want to know a secret, send me an email. 
And at the time, this book, this was a few years ago, the book was already old at the time. And I sent the email and said, hey, I'm reading Crush It. You said send you an email and you'd tell me a secret. So what is it? And then I didn't even think he would answer back. But sure enough, he did. I went and took a shower and came back and I had an email from Gary Vaynerchuk sitting on my phone. And it said, man, I can't believe people are still responding to that after all this time. He said, the, the secret is quit thinking about it and quit reading shit and go do something. And that's it. I did not read another page of that book. I threw it. I still don't know where it's at. I wish I could find it. Um, I threw the book. I walked in and I sat down at my computer and I clicked that button that had been staring me in the face so long because I wanted to make videos and be a speaker and do what they're doing. And I clicked on create a page and I put some stupid background on it, some stupid profile picture. And that day I never read that book again. And I started putting in action. And it's still, it's been a few years. Granted, you could grow a bigger following than me in a few years. I'm fine at the 120,000, whatever it is. Uh, but here we sit to this day right now, uh, just a few years after reading that one sentence and tossing that book to, um, I have traveled everywhere from New York to Alaska to the Aleutian Islands up there by Russia. I've had, I've spoke at recovery meetings on the Bering Sea in the boats on the deadliest catch. I've been with those guys and had meetings on the boats, on the crab fishing boats, um, Montana, Utah, South Florida, you name it, right? I've been all over this country. Um, I'm getting more and more advice. And like I said, unsolicited job offers show up all the time based on one decision to take action. That's the answer. Stop thinking about it and go do it. Even if it's a, just do a little bit of it. Like I tell people, if you get this business idea in your head, this wonderful product you want to invent, look, go to the bank right now and open a bank account. It's called a DBA, doing business as. You don't even need a tax ID number. DBA and put whatever the name of the company, whatever you want to call the company in the DBA. They'll give you a debit card with your new company name on it. I think you have to put $25 in it minimum to open the account and then Go online or go up to short, uh, go up to the mall where they do those shirts that they print, you know, the machines that it's like a printer that makes a shirt, throw a logo on there and throw your company name on it and have a couple of shirts printed, start wearing them, start putting money in your business, a bank account. And look, you're a business owner that fast. You might not have a whole lot of sales, but my God, you're there. Right. Yeah. That's it. Love it. Start something. So I want to ask, where did, where have you spoken Montana? Great Falls. Really? Yeah. I went to Great Falls and, um, uh, there was a, uh, a, a company out there that runs a, uh, IOP. It's like a three hour a night kind of thing. And they asked me to speak there. One of their staff follows me online, asked me to speak. So they flew me out there. It's on my page. If you type in James Sweetie Montana, I think it'll show up. Um, I live in Helena, which is like an hour and a half, uh, South of Great Falls. Yeah, it was a beautiful place, man. I went and saw all the trout down in the river and uh, the trout farms and this and that, or rainbow trout. They were beautiful, man, and uh, the, the surrounding and all that. But Great Falls was hit by the drug epidemic, uh, partially because of their laws that are in place. Like, if, if you're traveling the Meth Highway, which passes through Montana right by Great Falls, and you get off the expressway to get gas or whatever or spend a night in a hotel, if you get caught with just a little amount of dope or something, they will put you on probation for two years and not allow you to leave Great Falls. So what's happened is you've got this community of people walking around. You can see them, backpacks, haven't showered, grown out facial hair, all that stuff. And they're migrating in and out of the IOPs or around the Suboxone clinics and all that type of stuff. It's created their laws of not allowing people to leave over a minor infraction has created this big homeless community. So they asked me to come out there and speak. And there was a hotel, dude, this place is called the sip and dip, right? Yeah. Yep. You know, the sip and dip, like yep. dude, it is something straight. It was like walking through a time machine. I went in there, the girl behind the counter knew me. She recognized me. So I don't know you from the internet. And then upstairs they have a tiki bar with this 90 year old lady playing the piano. It was so strange. They were hilarious though. Don't get me wrong. And then the whole back wall behind the bar is a big swimming pool with mermaids swimming by the girls swimming yeah. by in the sip and dip. And I had to film it and everything. I was like, what did I just walk into? It's like a time warp. I had the best time man. Then I, I traveled around, uh, I think it's called Butte. Yep. Yep. Something like that. And then, uh, Butte America. Oh, I, 
I can't remember the names of the communities. Black Eagle, I think, was one. There's a lot of Native Americans in that area. And Black Eagle was one of them. Uh, so I traveled around to a couple of different communities surrounding Great Falls right there um, and just visited. Noticed that every gas station has a, a casino in it. You can play slot machines at the gas pump and stuff yep. like that. And there's bars and strip clubs or whatever. It's just the thing to do. So it makes sense why that community, uh, people get trapped there and get uh, sucked into that. That, a casino in every gas station, that's everywhere in Montana. Yeah, yeah. Every every time we turn a corner, I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" So you can walk, you know, here in Kentucky, yeah, gambling's illegal. You can go to the, uh, you can drive across the bridge to Indiana and play poker like I do. There's a riverboat. You're allowed to drive over and do that. We have Churchill Downs, the horse racing, all that. But otherwise, there's no such thing as a casino and slot machines and all that stuff here. So to drive down the street, it, it was like Vegas, dude, but not as big. Every yeah. corner had uh, basically it didn't say prostitution, but that's what it meant. You know what I mean? You had drugs, alcohol, prostitution, and gambling just in a gas station. So uh, yeah. that was that was that was kind of uh that was something else to see, man. Yeah. Great vault, it's uh it's definitely stingier place in Montana, that's for sure. If you go to like Bozeman or Missoula, it's like it's still bad there, but it's not as bad as it is in Great Falls, that's for sure. But anyways, uh I'll let you go here because I'm sure you're a busy man. Um, where uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, that's it. My name, James Sweezy Live, L-I-V-E. So my last, everybody misspells my last name, though. It's S-W-E-A-S-Y. So it's James Sweezy Live on social media. That's on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, Pinterest. Um, right now. I'll, I'll get into some other ones whenever I have time. But And then jamesweezy.com. You can fill out a form there. Uh, I have a contact form to hire for uh, events such as this one or a uh, speaking event where I travel out. And also the form can be used to contact for help. If you or someone you love is struggling with drug and alcohol addiction and you need somebody from my office to call you back or schedule an appointment with me, we'll get on the phone with you and see how we can help you. Right on. And uh, what, what are some types of services you guys do to help? Well, the first and foremost is basically we just talk to people on the phone. Um, we offer interventions. We will travel to you. Now, interventions, we discussed this in the show earlier. I can't travel uh, five states away and put up and pay for the hotels and all that type of stuff. So uh, we do paid interventions. Also, um, if you can't afford an intervention, we'll still get on the phone with you and tell you how to do it yourself. We'll walk you through the processes of how to intervene on someone in, in a way. We offer... Uh, Medical detox, that's where you come to our facility. We take private insurance and cash pay. Um, medical detox, where you come in, they use medicine to walk you off of whatever substance you're abusing. And then we help you get into some type of treatment, 30 to 90 days, um, things like that. But also, whenever you contact us, Medicaid, for example, people, a lot of people have free Medicaid. You can't cross state lines with Medicaid. It stays in your state. So what we do is we give you resources and lists of places in your state that take your Medicaid. And in most cases, you can get in that day or the next day and go get a medical detox using your Medicaid card and get some type of 30 to 60 day treatment on Medicaid. And then uh, in rare cases, uh, we try, but there are a couple of free facilities out there. But the question is the logistics of how do we get the person there and all that. Now, some people, they, they can reach out and talk to their family and say, I need help to get to this free place. And in many cases also, people are just not willing to go to a free place. But we do offer the full gamut. Our goal is to give you the help you reached out for or what we call the next best door, right? That's the next door. Like, hey, this person runs that type of facility you're looking for. Let's put you in contact with them and try to get you in. Right on. Um, didn't you want to talk about I Apparently don't have the notebook that I wrote down. Didn't you want to talk about like your suboxone or something? Say again. Didn't you want to talk about like your suboxone program? Not your suboxone program, but about suboxone. I mean, I was on suboxone for a, a period of time, and uh, if you wanted to touch on that subject, here's the thing: on my page uh, at our company or whatever, we use suboxone the way it was designed to be used. When you come into a medical detox and you're strung out on heroin or whatever, painkillers, we will give you Suboxone for three days in very small doses to help curb the withdrawals. You won't get sick. 
And then we switch over to non-addictive meds to treat those symptoms after that. So the whole point of going through our detox and our treatment center is to come out on the other end abstinent where you're not using any type of narcotic. Um, and in my experience, uh, when I was on Suboxone, I took it for four years and they told me three to five days of discomfort and you'll be able to come off of it. I weaned myself that you can find this on jamesweezy.com. Click on blogs. It's called Dose Dropping 101, where I put on my taper schedule there on the internet of how I dropped myself from 16 milligrams to one milligram. When I did that, then I quit completely. Um, the withdrawals lasted six weeks off of one milligram. I was dope sick. It was awful, dude. I became suicidal, all that. And, um, and another reason why I started my page was to give people this information. You don't, don't try to surf it out yourself at home. And there's never anything. I never, I was on Suboxone and Methadone. I never bash anyone for using that method, right? The problem comes with the providers, the people that provide Suboxone and Methadone and tell people they need to be on it the rest of their life, right? And then my big question is this always, where's the off ramp? If you bring someone into your methadone clinic or your suboxone clinic, show me, ask this before you go to one. What's the taper schedule look like? What's the process for coming off of it when I get to one milligram? If their answer is, oh, well, you just stop and then you go home in three to five days of sickness. Bullshit, right? Um, there needs to be a process. And that's why I always talk about planning and executing plans, right? Being intentional. So if you're going to go on suboxone or methadone, that's fine. Or if you're on it right now and one off, you can message me. Um, but whenever you're being intentional about it, what I mean is this, don't just leave it up to fantasy land, right? Where it's like, oh, well in a couple months I'll wean myself off and then I'll be okay. That's fantasy land, right? The real thing is to look at it like this. Okay. I'm going to take suboxone and methadone for this period of time. Here's my taper schedule. Here's how many milligrams I'll be on next week, the week after that, the week after that, I'm going to drop it down to as low as possible. And then here's the Medicaid or private facility, whatever it is that I'm going to go to and stay in there for a week or a month whatever, and be medically taken off of it so I can walk out abstinent. That's a plan, right? So that's what we try to help people do is thorough planning, proper telegraphing, being intentional. You know what I mean? Yeah, cool. Love it. Well, I'll let you go. Uh, thank you for your time, James. Fucking awesome to talk to you. And uh, have a good one. That's been a pleasure.